Lord, help us to seek the truth. Come whence it may, cost what it will. Amen. Imagine walking around creation with those lucky first few. God made nothing into something, and it is very good. Look around. Squint at the sun governing the blue sky day. God gave us the sun, and it fuels the earth. Enjoy the giant oak unfurling emerald leaves in the wispy clouds. The sun powers every cell in that tree, letting it draw water from deep underground. Try burrowing through the soil where you can see roots dancing with life-giving loam. This is the charity of sunshine and plants. And God said they are very good. Feel the rich, dark soil tickling your toes, cushioning your feet. This is dry land. And God said this is very good. Listen. Can you hear the sweet water gurgling past mossy stones? Follow the stream as it splashes into a bubbly blue lake. Cup your hands for a refreshing drink. Dive into the lake and be soothed as the water glides over your skin from head to toe. Open your eyes and watch the beaver and the fish, lily pads and bugs frolic amid watery sunbeams. Swim across the lake. Rest on a smooth, sun-warmed rock and trace the river that carries this sweet water to the ocean. Now smell the salty sea breeze. Glimpse the shoals of fish gorging on the river mouth's nutrient buffet. Watch the dolphins and the otters and the whales chomp the small fry. This is water and life, and God said this is very good. And take a deep breath. Taste the crystal air as it runs across your tongue. The oxygen that just came into your lungs came from the forests and the billions of tiny ocean plants whose breath created our atmosphere. And so wide-eyed, speechless with gratitude, we remember that we belong to each other, to all creation, and to God. That's what I'd like to focus on today, this truth that we belong to each other, to all creation, and to God. I'd like to consider this truth through the story of St. Francis of Assisi, ecology's patron saint. You probably know him for his love of nature, hence today's pet blessing. But let me tell you some more about my favorite saint. Indeed, he knew we are a part of something vast and glorious. Born in 1182 to a wealthy merchant, Francis dressed in the finest silk, ate high on the hog, and traveled on his father's dime. He even went to war for the town of Assisi when their supply lines came under threat. But on his way home from battle, he returned by a different path, guided perhaps by chance, perhaps by God's still small voice, he did not take the high road with its luxurious accommodations. He traveled the back way, and he met people begging for food, shelter, medicine, and clothes. 
By the time he returned to the stucco and the silk and the steamed delicacies of the family estate, the luxury had lost its luster. He noticed the fine linens, he smelled the meat roasting, he watched the servants scurry, and something changed inside him as he walked back into the mansion that day. Francis bolted up to the storage room, and he flung open the windows onto Assisi's central square. As the afternoon sun beamed, he began hurling priceless cloth out the window, painting the sky with rich colors. People came from all around to share in the jubilee. Even the bishop appeared for the spectacle. When his father saw his cloth fortune in the hands of the poor, he was furious. And so Francis found himself in the central square, facing a raging father, a pile of silk, and a bewildered father, and a bewildered bishop. Francis' father disowned him on the spot. In response, he took off his fine robe, Francis did, and he stood cold and naked in the piazza. The eyes of the world were there. The bishop acted like a mayor. He had a choice to make because in front of him was his wealthiest donor, whose son had just pledged allegiance to a very different flag. Francis told the bishop, I came into this world with nothing, and I go to God with nothing. I hereby give the rest of my life to the poor and the sick. And what would you have done if you had been the bishop just then? Facing the family feud with the wealthy donor, the bishop wrapped Francis in his own cloak and offered to help him start this religious order. And thus began the Franciscan order that continues to this day with monks and, in a couple cases, nuns, known for their love of the poor and the sick. Their first and for a time only rule was to follow the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and to walk in his footsteps. They study scripture every day, and they pray that it would guide their lives. And we can do that too. Even Episcopalians, we can allow the Bible to shape us. Consider today's gospel, where Jesus wrestles like Francis with questions of authority and allegiance. As the Roman threat of crucifixion and all the other threats that Rome can bring clangs in everyone's minds, the religious authorities demand, by what authority are you doing these things? Jesus debates them to a draw using questions, denying their authority over him, and claiming his own authority to teach God's way of love. But then he goes a step further to show the source of God's authority. Actions, not words. Actions aligned with God's will for the world, which is a just peace for all of God's creatures. It's one thing to talk the talk. It's another thing entirely to walk the walk. And thus, Scripture is clear. Pious talk without loving action is an abomination. That's true because we belong to each other, to all creation, and to God. The Israelites learned this same lesson as they slogged through the desert. They need a lot of things from God, and they get impatient with the delivery schedule. 
Amazon Prime hadn't gotten their drones going yet. They're in the desert, and God is behind schedule as they anticipate it and as they expect it. And yet, God is right on schedule. God continues to deliver them out of slavery and through the Red Sea, providing manna, and then they want to meet, so then God provides quail. And then in today's story, they're thirsty, and so God provides water flowing from a desert rock. And what does this tell us about God? But this is a God who delivers on promises, who keeps God's promises, who walks on ahead of us, and who meets us at the rock to provide what we need just when we need it. They cannot survive that journey without each other. The Israelites cannot. They cannot survive it without the nourishment that comes from creation, the quail and the manna and the water. And they cannot survive it without the sure promises of Yahweh. But imagine for just a moment what would have happened to them if a disagreement had caused them to break ranks and try to brave the desert as a divided people. All right, everybody, liberals, come with me. Conservatives, you're on your own. It would have ended in a disaster. They didn't do that. They held together because they needed each other, and they belonged to each other and to God. In deep ways, St. Francis also knew this truth. He saw all creation, all planet Earth, as a mirror of God's glory. But it didn't just stop there because he looked into the stars, into the sun, into the moon, into the sky. I love his canticle, whose paraphrase we'll sing as our closing hymn, All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voices, let us sing, Alleluia, Alleluia. And as you work your way through this canticle, notice the way creation becomes family. Brother sun, sister moon, even gentle death. Francis asked us to become little or humble. And that word comes from the same word as humus or soil. So it is that microbes, dolphins, and mockingbirds, and bears are planetary cousins. Stardust plus time equals all of us, it could be said, and all we shall return to the dust where even at the grave we will make our song, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. As Dr. King said, we are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny, and this is the interrelated structure of reality. And we can find great hope in this truth because it rejects as heresy the notion that any person or tribe or nation would ever come first. It calls us to look on the world with Christ's eyes of compassion, to understand exactly what Paul means in today's letter to the Philippians, to make my joy complete, Paul writes to the church. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then this gorgeous, canonic, self-emptying Christ hymn, the definition of humility, to self-empty, even to the point of death on a cross, love for the sake of the world. And so when someone asks you, what was the sermon about? Just tell them, we need each other right now. All life on earth depends on all life on earth. We know that's the case. Every time we take a deep breath, drink clear water, 
or eat a chunk of universe. Without the plants, animals, soil, and water around us, we would quickly die. And so it is that we are called to protect this fragile, desperately wounded earth, our island home. But let me go deeper with you. Because creation can nourish us back. Maybe that's why Francis saw creation as family. He saw God's glory on display. And he wanted us to see it too. In these polarizing, distressing, divided times, God's deep desire for each of us is to be our best selves, our most loving, self-emptying, humble, generous, kind selves. And in this light, there can be no enemies. Though we may disagree, though there may be policy disagreements, though we may march and vote and protest as we should, there are still no enemies because we're all family. And so let's tend to our hearts, especially right now in the heat of a political fury. Let's go for a walk someplace stunningly gorgeous and listen to a waterfall and watch a monarch fly to Mexico and literally stop and literally smell the roses and snuggle our creatures, the embodiment of God's love and joy, and imagine that we really could be the people that our dogs and cats think that we are. And then once we've returned to our best selves, we'll remember that God created the world vast and glorious and so very good. And then we come back into ourselves and we make the world more loving and just, which is what love looks like in public and then we march and then we work and then we vote and then with Francis we see ourselves not as self-maximizing robot machines battling for a hopeless victory in a zero-sum game but as strands woven so beautifully into the web that is creation united and bonded known and loved in the end, God loves us so much that God trusts us to live well together. To walk together, children, don't you get weary. Walk together, children, don't you get weary. Walk together, children, there's a great camp meeting in the promised land. But you've got to walk together. Amen.